before you have a seat, I want you to find somebody, shake their hand, and I want you to tell them one thing. What's one thing that you would like to do someday? Okay? Find up you haven't talked to yet. Shake their hand. Interact. A conversation here. What is one thing that you would like to do someday? Go. That was quick. That was quick. I don't know what yours is, but mine, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a, a long list for some of us. Mine is, I would, I've always, 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 always wanted to go to a U2 concert. I mean, like Jesus, Paul, and Bono, you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, in a couple of years ago, I think, maybe a little bit more longer than that, uh, U2 was at Bush Stadium, like St. Louis Cardinals Bush, like that, like that's like as close to heaven as you can get is Bono in Bush Stadium, and I missed it uh, just because I was poor, am still poor. Um, but I love you too, and I know that's really like mainstream of me, so I'll never be able to be like a hipster, right? Like you can't be mainstream and be a hipster at the same time. In fact, if a tree has fallen in the woods and no one has heard it, a hipster is going to buy that on vinyl. Okay, so you can't be mainstream and you can't be. A hipster. I'm too mainstream, but I love Bono. I love you too. I would love to be at a concert like that. And uh, so my name is Jared Sears. I'm the worship arts pastor, and I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, tomorrow, I am starting a seven-week sabbatical. Some of you don't know that, um, and I've kind of just been sharing that here and there, but tomorrow I'm going to be gone uh, for seven weeks working hard at resting, which sounds really weird, um, but working really hard at making sure that I am resting and letting the Lord speak to me and focus on my relationship with the Father, my relationship with my wife and my kids, and and asking God to just refine me and maybe just expose some things in me that I don't know are there. So just pray for me um, and uh, as I'm doing this, and I'll be praying for you guys as well. Um, and we, I've got some great prayer partners uh, with me in this, so um, you won't be seeing my ugly mug for about seven weeks, uh, which is very good for you guys. Um, and so I know one thing you're asking yourself is how is he like coming through the system? Where's his microphone? Oh yeah, it's hidden right in here. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. Okay. My prayer is that when you leave here today, you're going to hear at least two things. If nothing else that you will hear two things that God is at work in you and that you have a great story. In fact, the greatest story ever to tell you have a great story, not somebody else. You have a great story story to tell and the second thing is that the world needs your story your whole story all of it the bruises the wounds the failures the wins the victories the the, all of the world needs your story the story of god's people and god interacting with his people is not being shared near as much as it should the world needs your story so those two things i want us to walk away from today thinking and realizing and knowing Scott McClellan, an author for Tell Me a Story, said it like this. He said, story changes everything. Identify yourself as a storyteller, an artist committed to a narrative, and you will experience God and your life more deeply than you ever did before. And this concept of story, that your life is a story, has been something that God's been working on me for the last like three-ish years, really more so really heavily in the last year. And this isn't a magic elixir. This isn't some like... You're not going to walk away with all of your, you know, issues solved. Okay, that's, that's Jesus. But what this is, is this is a perspective change. This is a change, and it's been freeing for me. I really think it's very biblical and very valuable for us to, to have the perspective of our, of our lives as a story and all that goes in 
to that. So let's tell a story today. I feel like that's maybe you could have substituted when Jesus went up to Peter and James and the others and said, drop your nets and follow me. I feel like Jesus could have very well just said, come on, let's tell a story together. And those guys, I have to imagine that was not an easy decision for them to make, to drop everything and to follow him. Like, like God, what, what am I going to do? I mean, I have job security. I've got some comforts like, you know, those who had families. How am I going to do all of this? But um, they made the decision, yeah, I mean, I'm going to drop this comfort and job security and money. And if they had said no, then no one would have blamed them and Jesus wouldn't have made them follow him. So you think about the story of the rich young ruler, one of the saddest accounts in Scripture, in my mind, in my opinion, where this guy, just about as blameless as you can get, walks up to Jesus and says, what do I need? Jesus says, sell it all and follow me. And he says, I can't. And walks away from that. Can, what kind of story would God have been able to unfold in this man had he just said, okay, I'm going to lay it all down. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I don't know where, you know, how I'm going to clothe myself. I've got this 667 BC camel back here. Mad humps, bro. I don't know what I'm going to do without him. But I only have one life. And I'm not going to waste it. And I don't get a do-over. I don't get a mulligan. And, I, and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. What would have happened had the man followed Jesus and risked it all so that his life would mean something? So I want to talk about the components that make up a story. Okay, so we've got I've got eight blanks on your on your sheet there and you can you can fill those out kind of as we walk along. And I think this is going to be very um, just freeing and changing our perspective here. So first, our author, every story has to have an author. Who is he? Who is our author? That piece that I read earlier is from an arts pastor named Gary Molander. And uh, he, he said it so perfectly in that line. He said, the truest heart of a loving warrior always takes another chance at love. And so with zeal and holiness and a broken heart, God risked it all. He risked it all by speaking the earth into existence. Such a great description of our author. And the scripture we go to here is Hebrews 12, 2, where it says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And when God is our author, then we know that God preceded us that he imagined us, that he created us, that he is our perfecter, that he is sustaining us and he is forming us and he will not leave you undone. He will complete his work in you. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. So God is our author and he preceded us, created us, envisioned us, dreamed us up. And we are made in his, his image. In his likeness. A second element to every story, there's always a character. And in this story, there are lots of characters. And that's you. Who are you? Who, who am I? Who are we in this story of God? There are a lot of things that we can go to that can define who we are. Right? I mean, uh, magazines and culture and just, uh, you know, where we live, um, we can be defined by the American dream, by inspirational speakers, um, but we need to be defined today and realize that in the char- as characters in God's story that we have been made, designed, and created in the likeness and the image of God. That's, that's you. That's who you are. So page one, as you open up this story, is, is Jared Sears. I know this about him, that he was created and made in the likeness and the image of God. 
you know, Genesis 1.26, God said from the beginning, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's cool. That's awesome. That means he created my hands with his hands. That means he created my, gave me breath from his breath. He gave me dreams from his dreams. He created me in that way. And then we all, I think, know what happened a couple chapters after that in Genesis 3. Where Satan, right, the fallen one, as a serpent, comes up and approaches Eve and says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And then Eve's like, that's not fair, right? That's not fair. God doesn't want me to be like him. And then she, she makes this terrible decision and Adam follows. And so Satan says, it's because God doesn't want you to be like him. But interesting interaction here. Go back to Genesis 126. It says that we were made in the likeness of God. And then even later in Genesis 5, as Adam and Eve start filling the earth, it says when God created man again, he made them in the likeness of God. Wait a second, I thought God didn't want me to be like him. I thought that's what, that's, 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 that's the problem. That's somewhere along the way, Adam and Eve forgot their identity. They forgot somehow were duped into believing that they were not made in the likeness, in the image of God. Have you forgotten how valuable and treasured you are? Have you forgotten that you're important in God's great story, that you were 100% intentioned and created and crafted into a masterpiece, a reflection of your creator? You have forgotten, haven't you? That you're unique. That you're a magnificent craftsmanship and it's what makes you you, that you weren't a part of an assembly line. No, God doesn't make puppets and robots and clones. God doesn't trace. You can't buy a print from God. Made in the likeness and the image of God. And he has not given up on you. You're his beautiful work of art. He has not scrapped your story. This is your story. You're the character in the God's great story that he is working through and working on. Next, number, number three, there's always a narrative. A narrative is, is the story told from a series of connected events and experiences. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and when he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Erwin McManus said, We all have internal narratives. We cannot let the dark narrative take over. What voices are you listening to? What narratives are are you listening to today? Have you been listening to? You see, your endeavors, they, they may fail, but you cannot let the voice that says failure is a bad thing come in and overtake you. Because failure does not mean insignificance. When you have stepped out into faith, you've already succeeded because you have a story to share about, the, about following God and how that unfolded in you, even if you fail. Please, we, we need you to do something. We need you to stop waiting until you know the end result before you start something. And, and some of you have been praying and praying and praying and praying and thinking and thinking and thinking for a long time about the same thing and you have done nothing and you have grown numb and you have grown cold. Would you just do something? Because God has given you that choice to follow Him and to risk it 
And if you fail, it's okay. Like it's okay to fail. You're going to fail a bunch. Please fail a bunch. You don't know the end result. But we need that next light bulb. Like we need that great song. We need that system that, that no one else believes is necessary in this world. We need that. So please fail a bunch. Okay? Number four is objective. Every story has an objective. A thing, a thing that's aimed at or sought. The intention and the direction behind the story. James Scott Bell, I don't know if this guy's a believer, he's an author, but he, he nailed complacent Christianity right in the middle of the eyes. He said, objection, or objective is our driving force. And it generates forward motion and keeps the lead from just sitting around. Um, most of you don't know my, uh, my story about um, proposing to Katie, um, but it's a really romantic one. In fact, um, I planned on breaking up with her the night that I proposed to her. It doesn't get more, like, there's no, like, romantic, like, cliffhanger. Like, I was going to break up with her. Y'all judging me. You're all, like, looking at me like, this marriage is a fraud. Or this marriage is a fraud. Um, but, yeah, I, we, we dated, like, before classes even started at, at Washita. We dated for, like, three and a half-ish years and uh, broke up, like, 12 times. And uh, we just kept coming back. And we just, it was, I don't know if it's, like, the dog returning to its vomit or what, but like we, we couldn't stay away from each other. Right, babe? She paid a lot of money for it to meet the man of her dreams right here. And, uh, so my struggle, I, I, I went and bought a ring because I knew I wanted, I, I, I loved this girl so much. Um, but I just didn't, I didn't know, like, I didn't know if I was supposed to like marry her or not. So like, I literally was, I felt like I was just sitting around in our relationship and I, I, it came to this point and where I was like, I got, I got to make a decision one way or the other. Like, what's my direction? What's my objective? And I thought it was breaking up. So I called her and we sat in the truck and yelled and screamed and spit at each other for like three or four hours. And, and in this crazy series of events, all of a sudden I got quiet for a second. I heard God probably more clear than I've ever heard him to just say, she's the one, you idiot. What are you doing? And so I was like, oh, okay, God, you know, like, sorry, babe. So we drive over to the dorm and I grab this ring that I bought months ago. And, and, you know, it wasn't this like beautiful, like she has all, you know, like, uh, dressed up and we're in this beautiful moment. It's just like, we look like a hot mess. In fact, I was going to put a picture up, but I would not, I would be in trouble if I showed you guys this, but it's a story. Y'all's engagement stories are, are boring. Mine was really interesting. But it's a story, and I, I and I needed to make an objective and stop sitting around. And I think as Christians, we've got to stop sitting around. We've got to start realizing what's our objective, what's our drive, what's our focus. And I think there's a couple of things. You can just write this in a blank spot in your bulletin if you want to think. Number one is just to worship and glorify God in whatever situation that you're in. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. So how you work and how you spend and how you love and how you lead all of those things to glorify God. Not because your situation is right to glorify God. You can't just glorify God in certain situations. Whatever, wherever you are at, God deserves the glory, right, out of those things. And then number two, I would say belief in God. Just faith. Just trust in that God is who He says He is and He's doing whatever He says He is doing despite, again, the circumstances. And sometimes He takes us through pains to be reminded that everything that we attain in this life 
is not the objective. Hebrews 12.28 says, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I, and I think that sometimes God just says, I've got to shake this very secure thing that you've built as a foundation in your life. I've got to shake it so that you remember that you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is not the kingdom you're receiving. And maybe that's through job loss or through sickness. Some of these things that you feel like there's no way that could ever happen to me. God does that. And I think there's hundreds of testimonies in this room that can, that can attest to that. That sometimes he just shakes things so he can be reminded that he is God and that his kingdom will not be shaken. Do you know, can you hear the author's motive for you, his objective for you, his development of you, his great workmanship? Next, and this is the, um, this is the part that has just really been opening my eyes up to my life as a story, and that's conflict. That's conflict. Number five there. And there's two different types of conflict. There's internal conflict. Like a character, an internal conflict, experiences two opposite emotions or desires between the good and evil inside of him, usually resulting in mental agony. Internal conflict develops a unique tension in the storyline so that there's this, you know, you, you've, been, you've had those decisions. And sometimes it's not just good or evil. It's like good or good. Like Twix or Snickers, you know? Like, which one, God? Which one do I take in to my body? Sometimes it's good and good. There's, there's good opportunity here. There's good opportunity here. And, and, you, and we have this, this conflict tension inside of us. It's like, wow, how can I glorify God the most? Or what decision do I make here? And there's this unique tension in that conflict. And then the other type of conflict is an external conflict. The external conflict is marked by a characteristic involvement of an action wherein a character finds himself in a struggle with those outside forces that hamper his progress. Romans 5 says, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Donald Miller, author of Blue Like Jazz and a few other books, he said, conflict isn't what ruins a story. Conflict is what makes a story great. You see, what I, what, what, as I'm change, starting to change my perspective of my life, I'm realizing that there has never been a good story in which the character did not go through many, many levels of conflict. Because when you open up page one and you see the character is this person, uh, yes, and, and when you open that up and you see that the character is this person, you don't know what they're going to be like on that last page. The way they got to the last page is all of the conflict and the tension and the crises that, that person went through, that character went through, to develop them. So God brings us, takes us through the conflict and the sufferings and the pains and the crisis so that we can be developed into who the author wants us to be. And we cannot gloss over this. We cannot, we cannot skip this. This is essential for us. So just take a deep breath in right now because I'm, I'm assuming that the majority here is going through some kind of crisis or conflict in your life right now. God is using that. It's not because you, it's not because you have sinned more than someone else. Like God's doing that in your life and working you through that and you can't give up on that. It's essential. It makes us appreciate what we experience through conflict. You can't skip over it. You cannot gloss it. You cannot choose how you become what the author wants you to become. You cannot choose the how. That is God taking us through those things.
a couple of other um, fun ones here. Irony. I, I was like, man, this is this is weird to say. I don't know. I mean, uh, but uh, irony is a contrast. If the definition of irony is a contrast between expectation and reality, Jesus lived a life of irony. Like the Messiah, the coming King, the Son of God was born from who? Born in what? He was a friend of sinners? He, he, the, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's washing people's feet? He's hung and impaled on a tr- the tree that he formed and created? That, that, that's a life of irony. And we're called to a life of irony where this expectation of the world in which we live, the reality that we know and what God is doing in us is different than that expectation. Right? Uh, this, this irony involves that in that the, the least and the last shall be first and the least is the greatest and that we're called to be poor in spirit. The foolish things of the world will shame the wise. The weak things of the world will shame the strong. And he says, die so that you may find life. What an ironic faith that we have here. Number, I think we're on seven. Tone. In every story, there's a tone. Tone is an attitude a writer takes toward the reading, a subject, or a character. Conveyed through the writer's choice of words and details. Can I just say something like really, really like bold right now? And I want want it to hit home with you. It's not okay to be boring. It's not okay to be boring. Like... do you realize, do we realize who we serve and the, and the role in which we have been called to and the story that God has already done in our lives? If you sit, you're sitting here saying, I don't, I don't have a story and you're a follower of Jesus, that's insane. It is not okay to be boring. Journeying through God's story is the greatest ride that you have ever been on. And is, is anybody else tired of bullet point Christianity? Like, is anybody else tired of, like, feeling like going to church and reading the Bible is like opening up the car manual? You know, just do this and this and this and don't do this and this and this. And we become just a list of rules and regulations. Live a life worthy of a story. Live a life that people are intrigued by. Live a life that those who are around you at work or in your neighborhood say, like, what's going on with this guy's weird? Like, what, why, didn't he, why is he doing this? I know that this guy makes pretty good money. Why is he driving around a beater? Or why has he chosen not to take this promotion? Or why is he going overseas and spending money? Like, you could go to Disney World with that kind of money. Like, live a life that people question, that people are intrigued by. Live a life that's worthy of telling a story. Because, listen, a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what a ship is made for. Right? That's not what you are made for. And our tone often changes in our story, doesn't it? And that's okay. First Peter 4.13, it says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. And then this is where we get to that tension of the difference between joy and happiness, really. Like, to have joy in suffering doesn't mean that I'm just like, all right, I love being persecuted. This is the greatest thing I've ever experienced. 
It's okay to feel tired and it's okay to feel frustrated. Can you just hear this? It's okay to feel downtrodden and mad and confused and fed up and depressed. And if God's truth was based off of our feelings, then we would all be in real trouble. But it's okay. Because he says, have joy in the suffering. And it's okay to just be tired. Let God work through you in that. We, we sang a story, at, uh, we sang a song at Good Friday, which is a story. We, we sang a song at Good Friday that, that if you were there, you probably remembered because it probably weirded you out big time. And it was a song called Joy by this um, lady, Latifa Phillips. And um, I want to tell you the story of that song. Um, she, uh, Latifa was uh, in Europe with her husband um, and they were, had this, they were having this amazing vacation and they were walking through these beautiful chapels and and uh, um, just having a, an amazing time, and she got a call, um, and everything immediately started to crumble around her, and she got the call to say that your dad has cancer, and it's not looking good. And so she told her husband, I, I just need, I need a second. And so she was walking around by herself, and she found this piano, and she sat down, and she started playing how she felt. You can imagine kind of minery. But the words that came to her mind as she was playing and expressing how she felt were the words, I've got this joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy, I'm so happy. And she was reminding herself, though she felt the opposite of this truth, though she felt that wasn't true, she knew that was to be true, that was true. That there's joy in the suffering. It's okay to feel tired and frustrated and down. Whatever chapter that you find yourself in, just know that the story is still being written. That the author sees this chapter as essential for your story. Don't quit. Don't leave the story unfinished. Let the author do what he knows how to do. So I want to reflect on this truth today. And I want us to acknowledge that we are that God is opening these and unfolding these amazing stories in every one of us in such unique ways that your story is is not the same as the billions of others um, of stories that have preceded you and will follow you and to reflect on that truth that God is taking us through conflict to teach us and to and, and to make us into something that we were not before no matter how we feel, let's speak the truth of who God is, even if you're in the darkness today. And let's choose to embrace our objective amidst the conflict. And let's seek the author's intention today for our lives. So as the band comes out, I want us to stand and I want us to read a prayer together. I want us to read um, this truth together. It's a prayer by St. Francis. And it's okay if you don't feel it. So let's speak this truth together today. Let's say this together. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. 
divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, and it is in the pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. This is my story. I never had a problem defining myself. I could sum myself up in two words, passionate and a singer. Everything I did revolved around singing. I swore I'd live in a cardboard box on the side of the road as long as I could still sing. I pursued and followed my dreams across the country, around the world, to Nashville and L.A. I knew that this was my calling. I'd always felt God leading me. But then, there's always a but, and then, in a story, then I was broken. I don't know how, really, but I was. Was I just naive? Are passion and purpose real? Because what happens when passion and pursuit leave? It wasn't that I just quit singing. I just couldn't anymore. It felt like God left me to walk alone and my soul died. Stealing my joy, my voice, my passion. I didn't just lose my voice, I lost my way. I haven't sung in years. It's crazy. It's years. It's almost like a part of me was ripped away. I can't seem to find myself or my purpose. My identity is lost. Yes, I've held many titles, like wife and mother, which I absolutely love. I've been a program manager, real estate agent, assistant, homemaker, and the list goes on and on. But something is missing. I question, did God take it away? Did I cause this? Did I lose myself when I got sick and left Nashville? Did I lose myself when I became a wife? Or when, is I, when I transitioned from stepmother to mother? Was it when I left the corporate world to pursue my family? Or was it lost when I started the search to find my thing? How did I get here? And why do I feel so lost? I struggle. My heart, my emotions, they ache for passion and purpose. Where is God leading me? Is God leading me? Who am I? John 15, 16 says... You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Good morning. This is my story. I am a child of God. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a sister. I'm an aunt. I'm a daughter. I've experienced beautiful highs and gut-wrenching lows, just like you, just like everyone else. I'm a businesswoman. I'm a worship leader and writer. I love to read, write songs and stories, garden, and spend time with my family most of all. I also have lupus. I have blinding fatigue, swollen joints and organs, fever and rashes. I deal with frequent infections and my immune system likes to go haywire. I take medicine every day. Many days, my passion, goals, and dreams don't line up with my body, and it's beyond frustrating. But I have a choice. I can focus on God or I can focus on myself. I would love to tell you that I make the right choice every day, but I don't. I live, I learn, and I continue to grow. 
Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. story. Leading this church in worship, leading community groups, mentoring the youth, global adventure trips, leading morning Bible studies with other men, even quitting my career at Walmart to travel around the world for a year to spread the love of Christ. You were all great supporters of my entire journey. So where am I today? I am questioning the point of it all. I have even questioned the purpose of my faith as a whole. What's the point? I returned from my year around the world completely ready to turn right back around and start a ministry in Vietnam for young men. Every door was slammed in my face. I even tried to be rebellious and create my own way, but failed as well. God has disappeared, leaving me with no answers. What did I do wrong? And where is he? I don't hear him anymore. I don't feel him anymore. Have even wondered if he's even with me anymore. It started out as a questioning phase, but now I'm just numb to it. I feel like I'm just walking around with no purpose day by day. So now what do I do? I have no idea. The one and only thing I have to hold on to at this point is my life verse that has been ingrained into my heart and my mind. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. And at this point, it's really hard to even believe in that verse anymore. This is my story. In the past eight years, my family has experienced trials, hard times, pain, and what I call coming toe-to-toe with God's sovereignty. He's written a tale of adventure, turmoil, and love. It's filled with battles, mountains to climb, and valleys that are too deep to see your next step in. But every scene has brilliant purpose in the plot, and he wants us to praise him through every inch of the adventure he's written. And through it all, we have found that strength is not being unaffected by the grief, pain, betrayal and confusion about what God is up to. It's being able to say through the tears, Bravo, Lord. And this is what the Lord says to us about the path that he has chosen for us. Though you pass through the waters of a child with a birth defect, family divorces and job loss, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers of your brother's rebellion, your sister's four babies that died, 
in a long, tumultuous foster care case. They will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fires of marital unfaithfulness and diagnoses that will change the course of your life, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah 43, 2. Those are really good friends of mine that were out here. And I just appreciate them. And it wasn't easy. And it's been about two weeks of just laboring over whether they're even going to come and share and what they were going to share. And it's not easy to come in front of your church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and say, I'm struggling. But if, if there's a place in this world where there ought to be a, a place where that can happen, it should be here, right? And so um, I appreciate them. And uh, you're responsible now for two things. You're responsible to pray for them. You know now they've exposed their open wounds to you. And you're the body of Christ or the church. And your responsibility is to pray for them. And then your second responsibility is to tell your story and to not leave anything out and to be honest with where you're at, not some future picture of who you are, but be honest with where you're at and let God work through that and share that because the standard has, has kind of been set. You can't fake it. That's no good for anybody to hear a fake story need to hear the struggles and the pains that Jesus saved a wretch like me that you are nothing without him that you need a savior so for those of you who are um, you know note um, snobs there is one blank I left open okay and that's resolution it's resolution when all the problems or mysteries of the narrative have been unraveled Isaiah 48.10, see, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my, God's own sake, for my sake. I do this. And we don't get to know what the resolution is. We don't get to know. We don't get to see right now all the mysteries and the problems unravel. But we know that God is on the throne and that he is sovereign and he is in control. That our God is not dead and that he's doing a great work in his people. So tell your story. You are an interpreter. You interpret to those around you God's love and God's character and God's truth. You are an interpreter of those things. So what are you interpreting? Lastly, I got a picture for you. For those of you who were here a year ago, a year and a day ago, we've been in this building. We, we took a picture of a quote by Scott McClellan, and uh, I want to read that. You may, you may have seen it on your way in, but I want to read that and close out our time this morning here. And that's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be, so here we go. Yes, story is who we are, where we've been, and where we're going. Story is a call to action. Story is an invitation into something bigger than ourselves. Story is the belief that the darkest hour is just before the dawn. 
Story is the conviction that conflict does not mean chaos. Story is the structure through which God gives us his gospel and sends us out into the world. Story is a lens through which we might see the world and better understand its meanings and its movements. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just pray for my friends and I pray for myself, God, that you would, that we would come to you with what we really have, God, not what we wish we had and, and who we really are, not what, where we wish we really were. And let you do a work in us, God, and we would rely on you and we would believe in you. We would have faith in you and trust in you, God, that you have not given up on us. That's my prayer. And that we would realize that you are the greatest storyteller known to man. You're our author and you're our perfecter. And we love you and we give you this. It's your great name, we pray. And all God's people said.